Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted. From Packers.com, I am Mike Spofford, joined by the one and only Weston Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our new studio at Lambeau Field. Packers, Texans, Wes, noon Central Time Sunday kickoff from down in Houston. Let's get right to it. Keys to victory for the Green Bay Packers. What will it take? We can start on the offensive side of the ball to right the ship and come back from Houston with the fifth victory of the season. Remember who you are. Uh, that's something I've been preaching all week long, and it, it goes off and sort of dovetails from what we've heard in the locker room this week with Aaron Rodgers, Mercedes Lewis, some of the people that have spoken to us at the time in which we're taping the show, knowing that, yeah, it was disappointing, but not that it even necessarily needs to be an anomaly. It's something you have to learn from. But this team won four games right off the bat for a reason. They, were, they put up 150-plus points in those first four games for a reason. Right. And you, you can't get too high and too low with this. I mean, if you go back to those four victories, Mike, every time in those Wednesdays and Thursdays media availability that followed, they were very even-keeled about this thing. You have to take that same approach now because they're going up against a Houston Texans team, as you and I have said time and time again, maybe have the hardest strength of schedule through the first month and a half of the NFL season. No question. Have playmakers on both sides of the ball that can change the momentum and turn a game at any moment. The Green Bay Packers have those players too. And as difficult as it might be at times to think about, okay, what do we have to do to win this game? They need to get back into their rhythm, whether it be the play calling, the game plan, the execution. Now, it looks like Tyler Irvin still dealing with that wrist injury. If they want to revert to some of the motion stuff, that means Aaron Jones is going to have to adapt to some of that. They're going to have to get the receivers involved. This offense has been multiple and variant for so long, and they've been successful doing that. They need to get those wheels moving again here against the Texans. Yeah, I mean, we've certainly heard the right things from the Packers thus far this week, from the head coach and other players as well, as far as that even keel approach, like you said. It has worked here in Green Bay in the Matt LaFleur era. There hasn't been a losing streak under Matt LaFleur. That's obviously a trend the Packers want to continue. He's, uh, you know, I'm working on doing some research on this. There hasn't been a Packers coach probably since Curly Lambeau that has gone this long into his tenure as a head coach of the Packers without a losing streak. So there's something to be said for that in terms of what you do is working. And I think what you said right off the bat, remember who you are, this offense is at its best when Aaron Jones is the focal point. And it doesn't have it, whether it's running the ball, whether it's catching passes, maybe it's running the jet motion stuff to open up things for other guys, whatever the case might be. But when all the defensive attention is on Aaron Jones, that's when this offense seems to really flow and click and, and, and work its best magic, so to speak. And I think that's what the Packers have to get back to. That's where the efficiency and the production is going to come from. Yeah, and if you go back, and they aren't undefeated when Aaron Jones goes over 100 total yards or 100 rushing yards, but they're pretty darn close, going back all the way to his rookie season in 2017. This is the type of guy and the type of playmaker that when he is right, everything else just seems to go right with this offense. And, you know, last week with him only having 10 carries for 15 yards, and certainly he had the the rushing touchdown and did some good things in the passing game, but the bread and butter of this offense is running the football and being able to establish him early. Now, a credit goes to Jamal Williams. He's stepped up the last few weeks, and he's been the leading rusher here last week, and then the week before that was their leading receiver. But getting Jones going and making defenses really think about what they're doing when he's in the backfield, 
that's where you really saw this offense get into its stride earlier this season. Devontae Adams is back, and he hopefully here is going to be a week healthier. Appears like he had no setbacks whatsoever with the hamstring. You don't know exactly what the situation is going to be with Robert Tanyan. He missed practice on Wednesday with an ankle. But all that being said, the more weapons that you can get kind of working and getting that synergy back, I just think when you look at the way they were able to attack defenses that first month of the season, the blueprint's still very much there for Green Bay to get back on track this Sunday. Yeah, I think the biggest question for the Packers offensively heading into this game is what is the offensive line going to look like? Because at the time we're taping this, the Packers have only practiced once. That was on Wednesday. David Bakhtiari was not on the practice field. We will see how things evolve as the week goes along. But we saw earlier in the season when there were injuries to the starters up front, it wasn't just, okay, we're going to pull one guy off the bench and plug him into that spot. Matt LaFleur not averse to moving guys around to different spots. So who knows who might play left tackle and then how what the trickle-down effect of that yeah. could be if Bakhtiari isn't able to go. Now, that being said, David Bakhtiari has missed only six games in his entire NFL career, four games one year and two games another year. That's been it. You know he is going to do everything it takes to get out there. But we'll just have to see if he is healthy enough to go, and if not, what the Packers' response to that will be with the lineup. Yeah, and you also have to remember, too, very quietly out of this bye week, the Packers are entering their most daunting part of the schedule here, where you go to Houston, you come back to face Minnesota, and then you're suddenly traveling again to San Francisco on three days notice. On a short week, yeah. On a short week. So there's a lot of football to be played here in the next 20, 21 days or so. So... You do need to see the the forest through the trees a little bit on what they need to do. Now, we'll, we'll see exactly what this game plan shuffles out to look like for Bakhtiari. The one thing I find very interesting with Matt LaFleur, um, there's, there's basically two different groups of psychology for how you handle offensive lines. And we saw both of them during the Mike McCarthy tenure. Early on, it was that you want to get your best five out there. It doesn't matter what position they're playing. So if an injury happened to Brian Bulaga, you saw T.J. Lang bump out to right tackle a couple times. They had Evan Smith go in at guard. Then later on in McCarthy's tenure, they looked for more of the one-for-one replacement. You know, you had a guy go down, well, then Don Barclay is going to play right tackle now, and that's just what you're going to ride with. The floor seems to be a little bit more inclined to the former, where it's if you want to just find your starting five, it doesn't matter what position they're playing at. You just got to go with it. And honestly, it worked great in that game against Minnesota with what Elton Jenkins was able to do when he bumped out not only the right tackle, but he was moving on a different side of the line of scrimmage. Right. right. Uh, this is an exceptional athlete, a really special talent, and that gives them a little bit more versatility with what they want to do. Rick Wagner, I take my cap off to him. I mean, the guy had basically had gotten no reps whatsoever in practice. I can't imagine he took a lot at left tackle when you have David Bakhtiari healthy. Right. And he went in there and he held up the fort. So a lot of decisions they're going to have to make in which direction they want to go with this thing. Yeah, just to throw out some of the different options. If Bakhtiari is unable to play, you could plug in Rick Wagner, which would be sort of option two in those scenarios you're laying out. Other ways you could go, you could flip uh, Billy Turner from right tackle over to left tackle and have Wagner take over at right tackle. You could slide Elton Jenkins from left guard out to left tackle. Then presumably that means John Runyon, the rookie, comes off the bench to play at guard. A lot of different ways the Packers can go. What we do know is Matt LaFleur is not going to tell us. (laughs) (laughs) He's not interested in revealing what the plans are if Bakhtiari is unable to play. 
And uh, so, again, it's a wait-and-see-until-Sunday kind of thing. Uh, and Rogers mentioned, too, on his appearance with the Pat McAfee show, I mean, he recalled back, and that was, what, now three or four years ago, the game in which they had to start five guards uh, on the offensive line yeah. where Lane Taylor started at left tackle. And then I think you ended up having Justin McCray starting at right tackle. Right tackle, yeah. Uh, in a late-season matchup. So they've, they've dealt with all of this before. The, the big question that's going to be, and, and just, you know, when you have a guy like Bakhtiari, um, a lot of teams, I think people take it for granted a little bit in Green Bay when you had a run. You know, we talk so much about the quarterbacks. Well, when you have a run with Chad Clifton for a decade and you've had this run now with Bakhtiari coming up on a decade, you sometimes forget about the blind spot. You sometimes forget about that left tackle position. It's not supposed to be that easy yeah. in this league, but those two guys credit to them, have, have really made it look a lot easier than it is. Yeah, offensive coaches love to not have to worry about that left tackle <laughs> spot when they go into game planning week after week for games. Quickly here, Wes, before we shift gears to the defensive side, Sirius XM NFL Radio Channel 88 is the only radio outlet dedicated to the National Football League seven days a week, 365 days a year. And Packers fans, gear up for game day. Open a Packers checking account from Associated Bank and score a $50 Packers Pro Shop gift card. Learn more at associatedbank.com backslash Packers. All right, defensive side of the ball. There are three things here, Wes, that I think we're seeing a difference in this 2020 Packers defense compared to 2019. And the Packers aren't going to be able to fix all three of these in one week. But when we, you know, I remember, just to preface this a little bit, the years that Julius Peppers was here, he used to talk all the time when he would speak with the media, especially early in the season, the first half of the season, that everything about the defense was always a work in progress. It was, it was working, fixing this, adjusting that to get to where you needed to be at the end of the season. He always took the long view. So I say with these three things I'm going to point out that the Packers need to, need to change as things go along. It's not all going to happen at once, but this is where they need to go. Obviously, the pass rush needs to improve. The statistics on the pressures, the sacks, all that, it's not there. Same thing with the turnovers. They need to turn the ball over more. They've now gone two straight games without one. That is, uh, that's not a sustainable formula for this defense. But the other one I think is the big one that we haven't really talked about yet is the defense in the red zone. Yeah. Last <clears throat> year, the Packers were tied for sixth in the league in red zone defense. They allowed touchdowns only 50% of the time when opponents got in the red zone, 24 out of 48. Tied for sixth in the league. It was one of the best red zone defenses around. This year, Packers are 28th in red zone defense, 76.5%, 13 of 17 times. Now, granted, one of those, just like there was one last year, after a turnover and the ball's on the two-yard line, you don't right. really fault the defense for that. But over the long haul, these are the numbers, right? To be tied for sixth in the league and to be 28th in the league in red zone defense, that's something that's got to change because red zone stops are worth four points, yep. bottom line. And, and the Packers' defense is not getting those red zone stops right now. Well, and let's be honest about something, too. What was one of the reasons the Packers were able to really eke out some close victories last year was the fact that they kept the opposing offense out of their end zone. Yeah. So that, that is something that you definitely want to see change. You know, pressures I've always kind of been a little bit lukewarm with because, again, I've seen it time and time again. It didn't matter if it was during the, the heyday with Dom Capers uh, in the middle of Capers' tenure or even now with Pettin, is that, you know, numbers can look like one thing, and then all it takes is a three-sack performance from, you know, Preston Smith, and then numbers start to get thrown on their head a little bit. Sure. 
But the big thing that get to go back to the red zone is that's a more consistent stat over the course of a season that really tells you the true story of a defense. And, you know, there's so many things I think now, Mike, you got to take with a grain of salt. Total defense isn't what it used to be. Uh, you no. know, when you look at just yardage as a measurement, but you also can't look strictly at, you know, points either because a pick six that counts as against a defense as well. Yeah. But red zone defense is one area where I think all your chips are down. And you have, you know, it's your guys versus their guys, and you have the advantage of a shortened field. Green Bay was exceptional in that area last year, not only just from the standpoint that they held teams out of the end zone, they could pressure the quarterback from that part of the field. They could turn over the football from that part of the, part of the field. So without knowing what the message is to Mike Pettin, that you, you list out all the different options, that's what looks like number one to me. That's primary option A, yeah. is trying to find a way to shore that side of things up because – there is nothing more demoralizing. You watch any NFL game on any given week, it was when an offense can go 60 or 70 yards and then they stall out at a 15-yard line. That's a tough thing to bounce back from and make you think a little bit about the points that you left on the board. Yeah, I mean, you and I talk about it all the time, Wes, the way this league is built. This league is built on offense. It's built on explosive plays. Defenses are going to get gashed for 20-yard plays and 25-yard yeah. plays. It happens across the board to every team every week the difference is can you recover from that explosive play within that same possession to potentially hold a team to a field goal or even after an explosive play early on can you get the stop at midfield yes maybe they're going to punt you back to the five yard line but they're punting and they're not getting any points because you recovered from that explosive play we saw the packers defense last year recover very quickly from explosive plays, and we're not seeing that this year. And that speaks a lot to the red zone statistics that we're seeing. Yeah, the bizarre thing is, though, and again, this is where I have to imagine that Petten, you know, kind of you know, scratching his head a little bit, is they kind of have made offenses go the long way. Now, you talk about explosives. That's anything over 15, 20 yards, no doubt about it. But it's sort of been like death by a thousand cuts here where it hasn't necessarily just been like a 60-yard run that was allowed or a 75-yard pass right off the first play. But they haven't been able to either, A, find the stop when they need it or that big takeaway when they need it. Three takeaways right now through these first five games. They come in bunches is what they say. And it's something that gets reiterated time and time again. And just when you're about to talk about how that's a cliche, it always seems to happen. (laughs) So you wonder if it can be this week or the week after against Minnesota, whatever that is. I think once you just kind of get some of those big turnover-type plays again, just think about what the safety did for Green Bay's defense in Minnesota or the Shandon Sullivan pick six. Those things really can get in your head a little bit and make you think, okay, this is how we get back to dominating. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a a bounce-back week on both sides of the ball in a lot of fashions for the Green Bay Packers, and they uh, they need to get that done, take care of business down in Houston on Sunday. There are a whole bunch of really, really interesting games in Week 7 here in the NFL West. I'm going to rattle off a bunch of them to you, and I'll let you start wherever you want to. But Pittsburgh at Tennessee, a battle of unbeatens in the AFC. Seattle at Arizona, big matchup in the AFC West. Chicago at the L.A. Rams on Monday Night Football, a game that Packers fans certainly will have their eye on. And then a couple of really intriguing cross-conference games. San Francisco is at New England after San Francisco kind of seems to have righted the ship yeah. with the win over the Rams last week, That a game that not a lot of people expected them to win with the way their season was going. And then Tampa Bay, the team that just beat Green Bay and is flying high right now at the Las Vegas Raiders, the team that not that long ago just handed the Kansas City Chiefs their only loss of the season. So 
I'll throw all that out there for you. You can start wherever you want to. Well, and, and just before I do, I mean, you can talk about matchups further down the charts, too. I mean, you got the NFC East teams playing each other this week. Somebody trying to, you know, gain some <laughs> stability in that division. And then the Panthers are traveling to New Orleans. That's a marquee matchup. Yeah, NFC uh, South. Right now, and, and Teddy Bridgewater obviously going to face the team that kind of helped him, you know, resuscitate his NFL career. But the game I have to go to, just because as long as we're talking about one loss or no losses, is Chicago. Uh, they're taking on, now again, back in the day when we did this five days a week, we'd be talking about this next Monday. Yeah. But because of this is our, our last show until then, uh, this is the this is the real barometer here for the Bears. Yeah. And I've said it time and time again, I will keep saying it. A team wins five games in the National Football League in its first six, that's a big deal. I don't want to hear about, oh, they're not legit or they've done this or that or this. They won five games. When we get down to week 17 and we're talking about division titles yep. and playoff appearances and all that other stuff, we're not really talking about strength of schedule at all. Maybe it'll come into play with the seventh spot now with wins and losses and whatnot, but that's, it's, not a, it's not a, hey, how attractive were your wins to get into the playoffs? No, it was, did you win the games or did you not? Yeah. And for the Bears, I mean, Nick Foles settling in here, seems to have a good grasp of what Matt Nagy wants to do offensively. It's a big test for them now going on the road, seeing if they can knock off the Rams. Yeah, and for those who are thinking, oh, okay, this is where the Bears are going to get their comeuppance, yeah. so to speak, and you know the Rams are going to expose the Bears for who they are. It's exactly what a lot of people thought two years ago. Remember that primetime game? Yeah. The Rams went into Soldier Field, and that Chicago Bears defense completely stifled them. Yeah. And then the Bears were on their way to a division championship yes. in, in the NFC North. So, um Certainly, uh, certainly one to watch there. Seattle at Arizona, Seahawks uh, undefeated in the NFC West, and Arizona coming off of the big Monday night victory down in Dallas. It's a short week for Arizona, so that makes it tough to be preparing for a team like the Seahawks. I got to get your thoughts, though, on the unbeatens in the AFC. Pittsburgh at Tennessee. Got, got anybody you like in this one? It's the it's going to sound weird because Pittsburgh's probably been one of the most consistently performing teams in the NFL the last two decades. But this, to me, kind of represents the new guard a little bit. You know, you had Kansas City, you have Baltimore. Certainly those teams are still up there. New, new England has always been up in this thing. But Pittsburgh and Tennessee are the two teams that have kind of been waiting in the wings a little bit. Now the Titans got some publicity last season with, with the run that they got on. Yeah. And seeing what Derrick Henry can do against that defense is going to be uh, just a huge test and I think is going to tell you a lot about both teams. Pittsburgh kind of has this steel curtain kind of feel to it right now. That that's They have Ben Roethlisberger. You know the recipe for success offensively, but how far can this defense take them? Could this be the team that finally gets Mike Tomlin back to a Super Bowl? But then you got Mike Vrabel who I think very quickly is showing that he is probably one of the more underrated coaches in the National Football League, not only just because of the, the penalty tricks and all that, but legitimately the what he has gotten out of this Tennessee team when he got it out of them. No question And now about it. they're a serious contender. Well, look, you look at what's going on with Tennessee. I can't remember exactly how the regular season for them ended last season, but I believe they won in Week 17 yeah. to get into the playoffs. Yep. Then they won two road games in the playoffs before losing in the AFC Championship, and now they're 5-0. and Well, you know what? 
They've won eight of their last nine games. To go eight and one in any stretch of NFL football, especially with some of the stakes that they were playing for last year in January, that's impressive. That's really, really good work. This Tennessee team, I, I know I had mentioned it, I think, in our one of our uh, – preview shows we did with Larry uh, during training camp we were talking about okay aside from the obvious like what's the game you're looking forward to on the Packers schedule I said the Tennessee Titans you know coming to Lambeau Field around Christmas time in week 17 and I know that's a long way off but I have a feeling we're gonna we're gonna be talking about that that nationally that is going to be talked about as potentially a really really big game in the NFL late in the season and you could be end up talking about the hardest opponent Green Bay is gonna face all season potentially depending on where their season goes the thing I love about Tennessee though is that they've done it slowly it's been gradual it hasn't been one player here one player there it's been drafting smart and finding good pieces in free agency. They certainly don't look like a flash in the pan, no. I think is what you're saying. And the thing is, is that when you do it that way, the Ted Thompson type model, that's what ensures that you're not going to be a flash in the pan. You're going to stay in this thing. And let's give credit where credit is due. It is very rare that you can see a quarterback sort of just rise again after not necessarily floundering, but you know, it really not working out in Miami. And here is Ryan Tannehill with a stable, consistent running game in a vision, in a scheme with that offense that you can tell when you watch him how comfortable he is navigating this thing. That Tennessee team, man, yeah. they're there. They're going to be there for a while. The one big question I will throw out there that I think will be important for Tennessee, because we were just talking about whether the Packers have to deal with David Bakhtiari and potentially missing a game. The Titans have lost their left tackle, Taylor Lewin, for the season, and that's going to be a big adjustment they have to make, particularly in the running game with what what Derrick Henry does on that offense. But a big test for Mike Vrabel, both in terms of his own team and the opponent he's got this year. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, a guy like Lewin and the way he came on over the last year and really solidified himself as one of the top young tackles in this league, uh, that, that one won't be easily replaced. But, again, it goes back to what you originally said. I mean, week seven, there's weeks where you and I will sit here and we'll be like, ah, oh, there's really not that much on the schedule. It's a take-your-pick this week. Yeah, I think no matter a... where you are in the country, whatever games show up on Fox or CBS, you're going to be pleased. Yeah, no question about it. All right, with that – We'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team, including everything going on in Sunday's game down in Houston on Packers.com. For Wes, I am Mike. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. See you next time. 